McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 176. Well, it was a point against Barnsley, which is much improved, but can the Blues get some wins together and push on? Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, it was nice to see you on Saturday. Enjoyed most of the game, apart from like the last five minutes of it. Obviously, that was a bit gutting. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing so bad. Not doing so bad getting by getting by yeah we had quite a good time at the brewery first didn't we had quite a few beers met some of andy's mates who you hadn't met before and that was nice andy can't be here today he's got some sort of issue with not being able to download his exotic videos if he does a zoom stream at the same time so we'll leave the man to do what he has to do but just having a think about what we're going to do today so i'm just going to set out the podcast because we've got quite a nice line up today on the pod so first of all we're going to review the game against Barnsley following from that we put a question out to you guys and thanks to everyone who messaged in really appreciate it makes the show as always and we said to you guys are Pompey playing with a better style under John Massinio and then we spoke to Joe from Argo Life to preview the game on Saturday against Plymouth right Fred let's get going with Barnsley I told everyone in the stand it's a big game for me it's a massive game for me. The rivalry against Barnsley I have is probably not quite that normal for Portsmouth fans, but it means a lot to me and people who listen to the podcast will know. Well, people have been listening for a while. New people, well, all my mates from my old work are Barnsley fans. And yeah, it's unfortunate that we didn't get the win in the end, but let's start from the beginning. Let's start that chance. Bit of link-up play between... Uh, Deshaun Bernard and Michael Jacobs. Ball comes in behind. Colby Bishop makes a really intelligent run because he comes from deep. It's why the defenders don't quite pick him up. Puts the ball into his feet and he makes a really, really nice smart finish, doesn't he, down to the keeper's right to make it 1-0 Pompey, only for the goal to be given as offside. He looks marginally offside, doesn't he, Fred? But you're hoping maybe we get a bit of luck and that one counts. Yeah, he was offside by about a foot. Um, my dad was in the North Stand watching the game and he pretty much saw it's clear as day. Very nice movement from him. Very nice cross as well, whipped. Got right in behind the pair of centre halves, which is exactly where it should be. It was just really unlucky that it didn't connect. And uh, yeah, it didn't help Hugh's nerves, that, uh, that that chance being chalked off early. No, although shout out to all the boys around us in the stand who are giving it the extra big in to back me up against Barnsley and get the crowd going. One thing I will say, Fred, before we go into the next chance was chances, was the atmosphere was actually really good in this game, wasn't it? The difference between when we were struggling at the end of the Cowley regime and I felt like this was probably the I don't know the loudest we were at home for a while 
Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the atmosphere today. Majority of the fans got behind the team properly. Really like the variety of chance. A lot of people left at the equalising goal, but fair, but you know, whatever. I don't agree with it, but there you are. La- uh, loud, proper, didn't hear the away end that much at all. Um, exactly what Fratton Park should be. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. And I think a lot of it is down to the fact it was a clean slate. Clean slate for the players. New manager, new system, new everything. No baggage from a transitional season last season that didn't show us a lot. And yeah, all not necessarily all smiles, but, but you know, it's all new, isn't it? Let's talk about some of the Barnsley chances. I think it was Adam Phillips who had that lob attempt on Macy. If he's a few inches shorter on that one, that's definitely going in, isn't it? And it was so intentional. You watch how he looks up and sees him a little bit off and plays that little lob and Macy does really well, doesn't he, to turn it over the bar? Yeah, he's definitely put his foot, his stamp on the team. Easily the first choice, solid. Made, made a very good save afterwards as well when there was the one-two between Max Watters and Devante Cole. Cole had just shifted it onto his right. Probably could have done a bit better, but Basie again with his one-on-one saves, they've been crucial since he came in, made himself big, reduced the, reduced the, uh, the gap and put off a smart save. Confidence and um, a confident goalkeeper helps out about four to no end, really. Let's talk about the Pompey goal then. We're looking a little bit more dangerous from corners, I've noticed, in more recent terms. You look a little bit more organised and the ball's in the box have been a little bit better. But the ball actually goes into the box, comes out from a corner to Marlon Pack, who plays an absolutely amazing ball into the box in Colby Bishop. That man only needs one chance in four to score. And this time he does. He puts it away again. It's a really good goal all around, isn't it? Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Mar- uh, Marlon Pack's got a brilliant cross on him for a deep line midfielder. Again, put it right on a sixpence for Bishop. There's still a lot for the striker to do there because he, w- he was sort of on the stretch, easy to balloon that shot over the bar, but manages to just, uh, just calmly, again, for the second time in that game, get in between the centre-halves who were pretty much bullying him the entire game. He wasn't helped by, it, Bishop wasn't helped out by the referee at all. Pulled down all sorts, but again, managed to get in between the centre-halves. Ball right on the top of his foot, puts it lovely in the corner. 0.26 expected goals, lovely. And uh, Pompey are ahead and, and they look not comfortable, but deserving of the lead at the time, I think. I know Barnsley had a few of their chances, but Pompey just edged it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. It's tri- Colby Bishop doesn't get much luck, does he, with centre-backs pulling him down to the floor? We had similar in games against Exeter, etc., I think he just carries on battling, doesn't he? And I think maybe one day he'll get some, you know, get the rub of the green go his way, but hasn't happened so far. I've talked about corners being more dangerous. I and mean, we had another chance where the ball came into the box. And I think, I think it was Deshaun Bernard who didn't quite connect with the header near the back right post, but on another day, he just hits his head and that goes in. Maybe just a little bit of match fitness needed to get that sharpness. Yeah, potentially, potentially. And also, it wasn't necessarily an open chance. Barnsley's marking was for the majority of the game, really good. There was another chance where the ball was clipped through. I think it was by Bernard on the right-hand side. I can't remember which, but the ball was clipped through to Ryan Tunnicliffe, who was making that great box-to-box run into the penalty area. He manages just to keep keep the ball into play, put a low cross to Bishop, who then back-heels it to Burrell, where Barnsley, Barnsley sends a half right in front of him, blocks what could have, would have been a very high-quality chance by Morell. And we mentioned this on the last show, where Barnsley were going to defend really well, mark 
consistently and properly make it difficult for our strikers. And they definitely did at times. They managed to um, contain a few things. So no, Pompey had some other half chances, but nothing too clear, despite being deservedly ahead going into about the 70th minute or so. I thought Mads Anderson was was exceptionally good at the back for them as well. You can see why Barnsley think they might lose him in the summer if they don't get promoted to a championship team. Because he, for me, he's good in the air. He's composing the ball. And I think for us to get any stretch on him in behind seems to be the, where we had a bit of luck for this game. And earlier in the season, we just wouldn't be playing those balls, would we? Or making those runs. So that's one of the biggest changes I've actually seen under Messinio. Just those those in-behind runs, those you know attacking with numbers. But let's get into something that's not quite as positive. Long throw, Freddie. Your favourite deployed by I'm, Barnsley. I'm, I'm still not a fan. I'm I still know. not a fan. Am I being before we go into the long throw? Am I being harsh? Where I said that Sean Raggett could have defended better in the stages before the long throw. No, there was there was a cross. There was there was a cross put to him. Very good defensive header to get above the striker. Fine, goes straight to a midfielder. But then the ball, then, then the ball after a bit too in front of the penalty area goes to him on the wide. But it was this poor clearance under pressure that took it out for a long throw in pretty reasonable spot, just uh, just in line with the edge of the penalty area. Then Barry Cotter puts it in. I think I think it was flicked on by one defender and then onto Bobby Thomas. It was like two defenders just guiding the long throw, almost arcing straight all the way into the corner. To be honest, such a frustrating goal to concede. Such a frustrating goal to concede because Pompey, by and large, defended fairly well pretty much all game, apart from the Barnsley goal that was wrongly disallowed, which we'll go on to later. And to lose it to a set piece like that, gutting, and it epitomises just the amount of wasted points Pompey have this season, winning positions at home and then just throwing it away. Let's talk about that goal then. I'm going to wrap up the Barnsley game. So, well, the goal that never was, Joe Morrell does what every defensive midfielder should do in that position, you know, and take the man down as he breaks through. I was just going, take him down, take him down, Joe. And he does exactly what he should do. But the ball leaves his feet first, doesn't it? And gets played straight through to the striker who buries it. The referee really should be holding that whistle, shouldn't he? And not blowing that up just to see where the ball lands first before giving the free kick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy Warmer was the referee. Apparently has 20 years of experience refereeing in the Football League. Um, Dermot Gallagher mentioned that on Sky Sports, who then proceeded to basically eviscerate that decision because of how poor it was, and rightly so. Should have at least given some time to play advantage because Devante Cole took the goal really well, or the goal that never was. I don't. Again, I've said before, I don't like highlighting bad refereeing performances, but come on, that was probably one of the worst refereeing performances I'd seen at Fratton Park this season. Inconsistent for both sides, gave absolutely nothing, literally no bookings in the game. Um, he let a lot go, largely um, defensive tussling. There was a lot of two-handed pulls, a lot of two-handed jostling, just to just take the attackers off the ball. I'm talking about both sides there. He didn't do enough to control the game, in my opinion. And again, frustrating that we keep having to watch the standard of officiating in the one almost deteriorate to be honest yeah and Joe Morrell didn't even get a yellow card for that challenge which he should have done of course he should have done yeah that was a take one for the team yellow I've ever seen one in my life 
Louis Thompson would have been absolutely proud of him in that situation. Go on, Joe. But yeah, the goal didn't stand. And at that point, I'm thinking we can see his home. Obviously, we don't. Get the point. Is a bit deflating, isn't it? But overall, a pretty good team performance. Yeah, there, there are a lot of positives to take out the game. The high press was there with the 6.16 passes allowed per defensive action. Again, a very aggressive high press, high percentages in Barnsley with final passes to final third accuracy and progressive pass accuracy as well. We're behind on offensive and defensive dual accuracy, but you're against Barnsley. That's one of their strengths. So you kind of have to give that away a little bit. There are a fair few individual performances that stood out. Riley Towler, again, excellent. Deshaun Bernard grew into the game despite playing at right back. Um, had a couple of really excellent passes and definitely his positioning got better as the game went on. Really liked how Morel and Tony Cliff played in the box-to-box roles. And Bishop up front, always a danger. We got almost like the spine of a team forming in the second half of the season, which is encouraging at least. All right, let's move on. We put a question out to you guys and we said, I'll probably play a better style under John Messinio. Thanks to everyone who missed in. Again, really appreciate it. So let's kick it off. Abby missed in and said, we'll take a lot to be worse than Charlton at home and both Bolton games. And yes, I was at both of them. Top work, Abby. Interesting that more than one player has commented on how things have been simplified. So hopefully they're fairly more positive. Just got us all out the final third still. I think it's fair to say maybe simplifying things and making it easier, giving defined roles, maybe that has helped. Still got to sort out the final third. Do you think, Freddie, we need to sort out the final third? And if so, do you think it's more the lack of maybe a left-sided winger and maybe when we get Paddy Lane onto the right or however they decide to do it, we have a few more dangerous chances coming into the box of Bishop? Yeah, that's sort of what they need to do, isn't it? Um, the high-quality chances are improving metrics-wise. I'll bring them up in a minute uh, after I finish talking. But yeah, they're still not quite there. Um, I do agree with the fact that the players like the fact it's simple, and I think it is, with almost a stationary back four, full-back supporting the wingers, one centre midfielder sitting, almost like an anchor, protecting, protecting in and out of position while... Two box box midfielders go forward, support the striker who is always who is always on the line. And then, yeah, I, I, that was the one thing that disappointed me um, in the game was from the wide areas mostly. Um, I will say though that um, obviously the pairings of the fullbacks and wingers haven't had that time to have the partnership like they have in early in the season. So Ogilvy Jacobs, Bernard Dale, so those partnerships weren't there, like. For example, Swanson and Dale were, or Rafty and Dale, or Ogilvy and Curtis. So that might be that might be one thing to consider. But some of the crosses were okay. But but again, it was a lot of case of whenever Barnsley compacted that penalty area, Pompey didn't create as much as we would have liked, which is still definitely a concern and something that John Massino will probably be working on until the end of the season. Massino is most mentioned, and he says. It's a better style of play for the players. It's stripped back, which is allowing each player to play with the freedom of their natural traits and show their character rather than focus into a complicated system and self-doubt the decision-making, which was made worse by low confidence. 
Do you think it's also a factor, just going off that, Fred, that the, the substitutions seem a little bit more thought out, a little bit more sort of one for one, and there isn't so much sort of change constantly? I know Cowley made a lot of tinkles and a lot of changes during games, and do you think that might confuse things? Yeah, I think that, that I think that was true, especially at the end of the tenure. I think I think beforehand that most of Cowley's subs, I probably would have made them and thought of them. But I always thought of Charlton away, where effectively he was throwing any substitute on he could think of to try and get something out of the game, where it didn't really fit. Formation changes mid-game that was also a big thing that Pompey players struggled with. So simplifying it all the way down to start with might help, as long as there's solid foundations there. I think. I probably would have gone with the substitutions that um, Massino did, bringing on Lane with 20 minutes to go and then Thompson later on for Tundercliffe. I don't think any of the other players on the bench would have added much. I think if you went, for example, two up top against Barnsley, I think we would have given far too much up in the midfield. Um, say Pompey wanted to push for a second goal, for example. I think we would have given a lot up if we brought Pigger or Scarlett on. So no, I agree with that, but Again, like we said, Pompey's problem with creating higher quality chances is there. The expected goals in this game was 0.84 compared to Barnsley's 1.05, so roughly about the same, but still not creating enough expected goals to go above the one-goal mark. Whenever that's in a game, it's usually a concern, and that highest chance was the Bishop finish off the top of my head. So, yeah, there's still a lot to do in the attacking third, I think. But we're definitely seeing improvements there. We're definitely seeing improvements there. It's not as if it's, you know, it's not as if there's nothing to go on. Jeff Burrows messaged in. He says, I can't get to games, so I'm running off the radio commentary. Things seem to be improving slowly and moving in the right direction. But these mistakes and lazy plays are still there. It will take time. It's like trying to turn a cruise ship. It can't happen immediately. Keep the faith. I don't think we expected it to to change overnight and and to get players understanding the system. And hopefully, as, as they play in the system more, they will understand it better and hopefully be able to create more going forward. Yeah, I know the mistakes are still there from it's from individual players, and that's bound to happen. But I still think we're noticing less of them, and I think I still think a lot of that is down to the fact that they now have a set way of playing again, which hasn't been the case for months at certain points when when things started to go really badly but still those mistakes will happen it's legal on football isn't it it's always going to do you think then with my individual mistakes and Sean Rackett seems to have a bag full of them at the moment at the moment do you think if say Swanson or Rafferty's fit Deshaun Bernard comes in at centre-back now and we push one of those out to right back yes uh not not yeah, I, I don't see any other way of doing it. I know Messina came out in the news today to say that Sean Raggett's doing really well in adapting to essentially playing the ball out a little bit better than he has been. But he also mentioned that now the modern standard for centre-backs at this level is to be comfortable with the ball at your feet. Not necessarily, not asking them to have a range of passing and play 60-yard passes onto the foot of the striker, not by that manner of means, but to be able to one touch, one touch to bring it out of your feet, one touch to the midfielder, um, that type of thing. Because we've known for a while that Sean Raggett is a very good defender. When Pompey is sitting fairly deep, he's winning every tackle, winning every aerial duel. But whenever he's 
pressured when probably playing a high line off the ball or whenever um, he's being asked to uh, mark a player with pace who is running at him at full speed. That's where the, uh, the mistakes and problems come in and arguably the mistake in this game. I don't think it was a major one by any manner of means, but it was from being pressed high from an attacker, which we've seen for seasons now. And that's not just a single amount. A lot of defenders uh, previously have made mistakes when doing that, but with Sean Redwood, we've seen that more than most other defenders this season. Small margins in games lacked a lot of clear-cut chances, but... Absolutely. And small, and small margins are the reason why Pompey are in this position, aren't they? Because the amount of times they've played fairly well in games in winning positions seemed comfortable and then just thrown it away. Either with a with what with one instance of bad defending and it's just gone and it's a one or draw and we've seen that way way too many times. The curse Wait. of me continues, doesn't it? Because again, as soon as I go to a game, we still haven't won, and the, and the, and the two and the two wins we have, I wasn't there, <laughs> which which is maddening, honestly. Yorkshire out. Here messes it and he says, looking more like a home team at Fratton, playing more attacking football. He's getting more out of some limited players. Tough first five games on paper. And so seven points from 15 would be an impressive start uh, because I don't expect anything at Plymouth. Solid start. Well, we'll come on to our Plymouth preview, which is pretty extensive, actually, a bit later on in the podcast. But yeah, as we said, looking more like a home team at Fratton. I think that's true. We're getting the ball forward much better, making those runs from midfield, which is helping the attacking three as well. I'm just thinking... It's just quite late in the season to be able to mount a run on the playoffs at this moment in time with the new system. But as you say, hopefully we can pick it up from there. Yeah, I think the uh, it might just be me being the cynic, but I think chance of promotion is pretty much done at this point. What I'm looking at is, again, and I hate saying this, I'm not happy to say this, which players are going to be in this Pompey team next season? Because we're we're always thinking about next season, not we, Hugh? Every year, constantly. Three years from being three years away. Hearing also put a question out to us, Fred, and it's quite interesting. You put at this stage, which of the out of contract players are getting new contracts? Well, I don't know accuracy wise, but I do have the list of them. I'll just bring it up one sec. So the list of players, ten players out of contract. Ronan Curtis. Josh Uluwayemi, Michael Jacobs, Ryan Tunnicliffe, Connor Ogilvie, Clark Robertson, Kieran Freeman, Louis Thompson, Jay Mingi, and Jaden Reed. One player whose contract is up, who was in the news, is Jay Mingi. Um, Joe Massino, um said that contract negotiations with Mingi are ongoing, and he added he was eager to retain him. He was obviously injured in a training ground, challenged with Josh Uluwayemi, and He's got he's got a torn MCL, and Massino basically said Mingi's return is possible for February, but is unlikely. So he's more likely to return in March, and I think he'd be very good in one of those box to box midfield roles with pack in the middle. I, I don't know what you think, but out of out of the players listed, I would definitely look to resign Mingi. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, especially with the with the transfer philosophy there. A lot of the names there, though. I'm a take it or league it. Names that jump out at me to retain: Louis Thompson, Connor Ogilvy, 
those are the only definites, I think. Oh, Josh Uluwiemi, probably. I don't see any reason why Pompey would release him at this point. You could literally make a case for or against every other player on that list that I just mentioned. Ryan Tunnicliffe's playing into a contract at the moment with some of his performances, I think. Um, I don't know what you think, Hugh, because you're more reserved on some of his performances than a lot of other people. Yeah, I, I, I've got to agree with the players you've already mentioned, so I won't go over that as well. Tunnicliffe, I just think maybe we can get a better centre midfield option out there. And I think it's one of those systems that we're playing now with three in the middle. I'd like to see a centre midder who's going to, if he's going to be in that two that's pressing forward with a bit more pace, a bit more ability to break the line. And at the moment, I, I still feel, and I know a lot of people disagree that his passing and stuff, he gets the ball going and maybe you can bring him on to retain possession and that's where he seems to be better. But I'm still not convinced that he's that sort of centre midfielder who's going to help get you over the line. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite obvious if, if, for example, Louis Thompson is re-signed, then the anchoring centre midfield, if we're still going with the 4-3-3, we might not. Imagine if we change it all in the summer completely. But assuming we still go with the 4-3-3, the anchor centre midfielders next season will be Pack and Thompson, you would assume. And then that leaves, off the top of my head, Lowry, Morel, Mingi as the box-to-boxers. Potentially cut Tunnicliffe, or you could look for another player if you want to. Alpha John messaged in and said, We look a lot more passive and keeping it on the floor, I feel. Chance creation is much better as well, I feel. A lot more passive. I'm not sure we look a lot more passive. Would you say that's to the no, pressing? No, it's, well, it's not to the pressing because the stats no. are there and they're showing. But that's that what I'm saying. Passive. I'm trying to work out what um, Alfie means well, by that. I, I guess more, more assured in the play, I think. Mm. More, more, more considered and more measured. I think that's definitely true. Um, less panicky, definitely, because of the last few games under Danny Cowley that players were just making passes for the sake of it, trying to force it. There's not a lot of that anymore. There's a lot. Of, there's more calmness. So if that, if that's what he means, I think I think that's definitely true. Alex Kushmerson says a lot better in possession with the formation switch to four three three, but still lacking in direct attacking to score goals. Also. Look suspect on the counter with other teams seemingly having more pace than us. I think that's true as well. But I think maybe if you if you take Raggett out, as we said, and put Bernard in the middle, and you have a right back, Swanson, Rafferty, that could help fix that pace at the back. Because I think Towler's ability to cover space is actually really good. His positioning is really good. So he's always got a little bit of a few yards on the attackers as well. It's not very often he's let someone, it seems, running behind him and him be on the back foot which is something I've been really impressed with Riley Taller about. Oh, absolutely. His defensive positioning is very, very solid. I really like it. And his assuredness on the ball as well, just the ability to com- uh, to comfortably take a touch and pass. We've been wanting that for ages. And it just feels like it's just settled down the back four an awful lot at such a young age. I think that is a major buy and probably the best deal out of all the January signings so far anyway. Stephen Coe in, he says, 100%, I've seen a huge improvement and confidence with the team. Great to see play- players like Morel, Tunnicliffe and Curtis getting their form back. I like that we've got a high press from midfield again, and we look more likely to take our chances. Agree, Stephen. Don't really like s- singling out players, but West Brom recalling Griffiths has been a blessing in disguise. 
I feel so much more confident and relaxed with Macy in goal. Hopefully, we can look to sign him on a permanent. I still expect us to finish the season in good form, but unfortunately, just missing out on the playoffs again. Hopefully, this is the last season, us Pompey fans say it, about next season, play out Pompey. Stephen, I hope so too. How many times can me and Freddie and Andy... We're just as sick of it as much as you are, mate. <laughs> yeah, completely. High press, completely agree. Confidence up. It is good to see some players getting their form back. Yeah. M- Macy playing his way into a contract. He is, point. isn't he? Because re- it's a realistic signing, isn't it? Because why would Luton want to keep him? They've got three goalkeepers. And would they really hold him to ransom if he wants to leave and not be the backup keeper in the championship? Would they bother to do that? I'm not sure. Can't see that happening. There's a chance Luton get promoted to the Premier League next, this season. So again, it's a, shame, more like... it's a shame about their old manager, isn't it? Who had a complete meltdown over last weekend. I'm very, very happy with that change. <laughs> Should we say? <laughs> oh dear. Um, right, let's do one the, more. the only other thing on Griffiths, though, was something that's quite related that's been in the news. Andy Cullen coming out and saying he wants to end the reliance on loan players. He effectively said he would want to use the market, but he doesn't want them. And I quote, he said, and I quote, they're costing a significant proportion of Pompey's budget. So he basically just said, well, if we're spending a large proportion of the budget on them, why don't we just use that on players that we own? A novel concept, a, a novel, novel <laughs> concept. Exactly what I was going to say. I, I, I know. I, I know. I always harp on about lone players, and I, and I sound like I'm aging every time I do. But don't use it as the main strategy for your for your teams. If you want to have success long term, it doesn't work. You'll just end up changing the team every year if you miss. Obviously, use it to bring in the right player, and we, we've seen it can definitely work, especially in January. Bringing in the right player, we've seen that with Hayden Carter as an example. We can you can go as far as to say Deshaun Bernard and Matt Macy in January this season, but don't use it as, as your main team building crutch. I don't see it personally, and it looks like they they might be pivoting a bit in the summer. Talking about loan players, let's move on. We spoke to Joe from Argyle Life to preview the game against Plymouth on Saturday. We did touch on the ability to build a team through loan players, as some dub Plymouth loan SC, and I think they some of them are quite happy about that. Just goes to show what you can do, Freddie, when you take data into consideration. We had a really good chat about this with Joe, all the things to do with Plymouth, players coming in and out, Schumacher, how he's got the team set up. I think Joe's even spoke about it so much, he's concerned that Pompey will use this strategy against them which isn't the case because no one listens to the show apart from the five people without you listening right now. Look at yourself lucky. Pat yourself on the back. You're one of the five. But being serious, here's our interview with Joe from Argyle Life. All right, I'm here with Joe from Argyle Life. And Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries. Great to be here. Awesome. It's been quite a good season so far for Plymouth, hasn't it? I mean, I actually uh, put a cheeky bet on you guys to get promoted, so I'm not surprised. Um, don't want to leave that as a curse. I was in your podcast with a Pompey fan laying cash on you, but how's the season gone so far? And uh, do you see you guys keeping it up? Uh, how's the season gone so far? Um, like a dream up to this point. Um, everything that we have tried to do in the first half of the season, we've succeeded in. Um, the When you think we'd lost... 
two of our first three games of the season. Um, no, two of our first four games, sorry, because we beat Peterborough at home. Um, yeah, just pretty amazing. I mean, only two defeats since August the 16th, um, only one defeat at home all season. Um, yeah, we're on a pretty incredible run of form at the moment. Can we sustain it? Who knows? Time will tell. Um, there's plenty of football to be played between now and the end of the season. Um, I suppose the only plus that we can take at the moment is that of the top five currently, we only have to play Derby between now and the end of the year, and they've got to come to Fortress Home Park. So um, we've done that trip. And yeah, I mean, if we can sustain our home form like we have been for, since the start of the year, then there's no reason why we won't be bang there come the end of the season. Do you think a lot of that is down to Major Stephen Schumacher with um, the, the tactical setup with the three-four-two-one, and in some cases his ability to make a tactical tweak during a game or the right substitutions to turn the game on its head, like it pretty much did at one point in the um, the Fratton Park match, where probably all wandered up looking fairly comfortable. Then a formation change, and then from memory, Nile Ennis coming on. And then Sam Crosgrove later on pretty much turned the game on its head, apart from the last minute equaliser. Claudio Ranieri was the tinker man, wasn't he, in the Premier League? I think Stephen Schumacher is the tinker man of League One. Um, yeah, I think you, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Freddie. Is that you know we we have a system. We're not afraid. You know, it's no secret what our system is. Everyone knows how we play. Um, but I think the benefit this year compared to the last couple of years in this division is that we have a plan B. If plan B doesn't work, we've got a plan C and we've got a plan D. We've got players who can fit most systems that they're asked to do. Um, and yeah, you're right. If something isn't going right, um, then yeah, we can throw on any number of options off the bench and just tweak subtle things about how we play and it, it can make a real difference. I, th I don't quite know what the exact figures are, but I know that we've had a lot of goals scored from people coming off the bench this year. Um, which is obviously a big help, and our substitutes have won us a lot of points this season. You talked about a bit of strength and depth, and you have really come off the bench. But one player I was interested to hear your take on, Joe, is what you guys are going to do to replace Michael Cooper in goal. If you look at the stats across Opta, for instance, goals prevented, you know, he's way clear of everyone else with 6.8, which shows you how many points he's won for the team as well. What are you guys doing to replace Michael Cooper? Because we'll get on to talk about Morgan Whitaker in a bit, who's another big loss. But Michael Cooper, for me, stands out as potentially the biggest game winner, I suppose, that you guys have, have lost in the transfer window. This is still quite raw. Um, the, the news only broke at about one o'clock. I was on a nice walk around the Barbican and then my phone buzzes and everyone wants to talk to me about Michael Cooper being injured. Sorry, Joe. Um, that's all right. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just about over the the immediate heartbreak of it. Uh, it. Yeah, it's it's as big a loss as I think anyone could come up with out of our side. Um, you're right. All the stats point to the fact that he is our best player this year. Um, for my money, he's the comfortably the best goalkeeper in League One, um, if not potentially the best in the football league. Um, he's certainly the brightest young English talent I think that we've got in the Football League at the moment goalkeeping wise um, Callum Burton's going to come in he's going to play every game between now and the end of the season touch wood um, obviously it wasn't so long ago we did have a goalkeeping crisis where we I think we went through seven 
goalkeepers in six months or something um, while Derek Adams was manager. So hopefully when this isn't the beginning of that, because obviously given we've already adopted the loan FC tag, we can't fit in an emergency loan anywhere. Um, so yeah, Callum Burton will play the games. Look, he played a lot of games for Cambridge um, back when he was their player. Um, by all accounts, he's a... I've not seen him much. I'll be honest, I've not seen him much. I don't go to the Pizza Cup, so I haven't seen him play in that. So, um, But all the reports are he's a more than worthy replacement. Stephen Schumacher has a lot of faith in him. Um, I mean, he kept a clean sheet when he came off the bench on Saturday at Hillsborough. So, um, <laughs> albeit he didn't have anything to do when he came on. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll play the games. He's got the full support of the supporters. Um, and he's not Michael Cooper, um, but hopefully he's a more than ready enough replacement. As for what we're going to do if he gets injured, then I don't know. I don't have a pair of goalkeeping gloves, but I think it might be whoever turns up at own park because our third choice goalkeeper who was out on loan has also gone and got injured. So um, worrying times if he goes down, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Do you think the loss of Morgan Whitaker being recalled back to Swansea, is that a loss on a similar level or do you think the team can handle that? Stop asking me questions that I'm emotional about, for Christ's sake. Um, I seem to have rattled the entire fan base of Swansea City about this situation. Um, the loss of Whitaker, we acted pretty quickly. Um, we brought in Tyreek Wright and Callum Wright in straight away. Um, it helped, it lessens the blow of the fact that Finazaz was back two games later. Um, if Finazaz was still out with his broken ankle, it would have been more of an issue. Um, but you can't replace nine goals and however many assists he had with such a big impact that he had easily. Um, so far, so good. Um, I don't think we've had a massive drop off in our performances since he's come out. I mean, we, we what do we have since he's left? We drew with Bolton. We got the pointed Ipswich. We beat Cheltenham. All right, we you know we we got the defeat on Saturday. Um, I think you could have 20 Morgan Whitakers on the pitch and it may not have made a difference on Saturday. Um, yeah, it's a big loss, but we've got 24, 25 players to pick from and we've got every faith in them. I mean, the strength in depth has shown the fact that Danny Mayer hasn't been anywhere near the squad for the last couple of games. So, um, yeah, we've, we've enough replacements, but if I could have Whitaker back, of course I would at the drop of a hat. It's interesting because you talk about Finn Azaz and he's a player who, by all the stats and open play, creates quite a lot of chances with 2.39 on there. And you look at his expected goals as well, 0.46, only just behind Whitaker at 0.47. Do you think it's fair to say that from a team collective goals, he can sort of pick up you know, the goals and assist points there and, and sort of provide that easy transition for Plymouth? Yeah, I hope so. Um, he's... I mean, we can't really judge him on what he's done so far because he played an hour against Cheltenham in a in a game I think that we were relatively comfortable in, all things considered. Um, and Saturday was just a very difficult assignment for him to come into. So we'll learn a lot more over the next coming games. We've got obviously yourselves on Saturday. We go Oxford on Tuesday and Fleetwood the week after. So you know he's got enough opportunities now to make a real impact. And as you say, it's down to him now to to back up the numbers that he's showing. Um, yeah, I, th I think he's got more than enough ability. I mean, some of the stuff he can do with a football defies logic. Um, and not only that, what I picked up on on Saturday, because obviously where you are at Hillsborough, you're behind the action. 
um, you're looking at Sheffield Wednesday's rigid back line. You had Hardy and Cosgrove in the second half, and then you had Finazaz was literally just roaming across that back line. And none of the Sheffield Wednesday defenders could pick up where he was going to where he was going to be next. Um, he can drop deep and pick up the ball. I see him as a bit of a quarterback like they have in American football. He can drop 20 yards deeper, but then ping a 50-yard pass onto a toadstool down at the other end of the field. Um, so he's he's got more than enough ability. Um, and again, hopefully, similar to Burton, he's going to play a lot of football between now and the end of the season. Plymouth have had a lot of success with some of the loan signings they brought in. You mentioned the nickname that other, other clubs use as like a, an insult or so on. So some people have been saying that as, with, with Portsmouth as well because of the amount of loan signings that we've relied on this season and last. Why do you think Plymouth's loan picks always seem to hit the nail on the head? And Or is it a frustration for some fans where you bring in a good, great player like Finn Azaz or Morden Whitaker, and then they're gone and you have to find somebody else to fill in the gaps? Uh, it's a good question. Um, personally, I don't have a problem with the whole lone FC tag um, because the system's there to be used and those who are criticising it, I think, are just jealous of the fact that we've hit the jackpot with the players that we've brought in. Um, I think the loan system is very hit and miss. When we first came into League One under Ryan Lowe, we ended up winning just two or three of our last 17, 18 games and our entire back line was made up of loan players. They were all 20, 21-year-olds from Premier League clubs. None of them had had a grounding at senior level and we were relying on them to get us out of the mire. And in the end, we fell away faster than the Titanic. You know, we, we were 10th or 11th going into January, February time and we ended up finishing what, 18th, 19th, I think it was, and only about six or seven points above the drop zone. So you're not guaranteed success all the time. Um, last year, we had relative success with it. Um, you know, Ryan Broom came in and did a good job. Jordan Garrick, who's now gone to Forest Green, was effective when we needed him to be. As for what's changed this year, I don't know. I mean, the football club's gone very data-driven with their recruitment process. There's a structure, there's a solid structure to it all. Um, so whether or not the data is now paying off and the investment they've put into the data side is paying off um, is a key thing. But I also think, and I'm very I'm very much a fan of this man, um, very much a member of his fan club, Neil Jusnip, the director of football, um, who spent a long time with the FA, with the youth setup. He spent a long time at Everton's Academy overseeing their academy. He's built up a lot of contacts in football. And he's got a lot of respect from a lot of people in football. And I think when you have somebody like that on your side, you're always going to be looked at more favourably when it comes to, right, can we give some of our better loan players to that club? Um, and obviously playing a decent style of football helps as well because they get a good grounding, playing a, a possession-based attacking front foot style of play. I'm glad you mentioned about the data. That's something I was going to touch on a little bit and just the analytics. I think it's something that Pompey have historically been lacking as a department. What's the setup of the data department sort of at Plymouth? Do you know anything about the the, the structure or anything? I know it's a, typical, it's a bit of a difficult question to ask you about structures and, and staff, but is there like a, is there actually like a team of people who, who work on the data at Plymouth? 
Yes, we've got a head of football data called Ross Goodwin. Um, he he sort of oversees it all. He works alongside the analyst and Neil Jewsnip and the coaching staff. Um, as for what comes beneath him, I'm not sure. I know that we have set up a partnership with a data company um, who help provide us with uh, a more in-depth data analysis of the group we've got the numbers they put up in training during a game, because obviously everyone wears the GPS trackers now during games. Um, and they they feed us data when it comes to transfer recruitment as well. Um, personally, I think it's all a bit of mumbo jumbo. Um, I'm not sure how much I buy into all of the data side of things. I mean, I made a point on our own podcast the other week that all I ever listen to on other podcasts is that we're overperforming our data and we're we're you know it's all going to catch up to us at some point and at the end of the day the only data I care about is 61 points after however many games it is we've played that's the only data that I'm really interested in um if people want to talk to me about xg and things it will probably go in one ear and out the other because I don't really understand it but they're keen on it you have to say looking at the past 18 months two years it's really really paying off that investment they've made into it so as long as it's a success, I don't mind them using it. I think clubs have their own sort of private data, which is maybe different to the public data that we have out here. So in that sense that they have a little bit more of an in-depth analysis and, and more stats available to them than the likes of us. But you often see as well that someone takes XG as a, as a you know, that means if, if you're, your XG is low or whatever, that you it's going to catch up with you. But sometimes it just means you've got some prolific goal scorers who are scoring difficult chances should we say that you know the data models are thinking are less likely to go in and I think that's been the case with a lot of the Plymouth players this season um Barley Mumbers have a play on to, to touch on he's been really phenomenal um playing that wing back role and I expect him to you know really cause some trouble for us down the right hand side and it really depends who we can play I don't know Zach Swanson's going to be fit this talk about are the right back coming back but he might not be fit again so how does Barley Mumba get forward and sort of create those chances and do you expect him to play especially at home quite high up the pitch for the majority of the game uh yeah i mean he plays quite high up the pitch home or away i'm not sure it's too too much of a bearing where we play um he is obviously quite a key part of how we move forward um it's interesting i i sort of gave up on our own podcast trying to predict Stephen Schumacher's team because invariably I end up being about seven or eight players out every week. Um, but I did write down a team before joining you guys and I did have him on the left, but I wouldn't be surprised if he if he starts on the right on Saturday. Um, he's become very versatile in that respect. Um, he does get forward. He's, he's not afraid to take anyone on in an attacking sense. The big issue with him is... He has a mistake in him when it's when you're getting back. Um, for example, in the the one that stands out is the Exeter game. Um, he had an opportunity to put the ball out of play and didn't. He had an opportunity to bring the man down and couldn't. And 10 seconds later, Exeter are 1-0 up. And you don't want to be affording a team like that a chance in a derby in front of a full house. Um, so he does have his limitations defensively. But I'm sort of willing to sacrifice that when you see what he offers us offensively. And as you say, going forward, he's he's very good. He's attack-minded. He just puts his head down. He runs at defenders. 
he causes nightmares. And more importantly, when he hits a ball, it stays hit. And you don't want to be affording him too much space in and around the penalty box because if he gets half a sniff of getting a shot away, he will ping it. And luckily, this season, more often than not, it's ended up nestled in the back of the net. This is probably the least intelligent question out of all of them, but I think we have to ask it. What do player fans think of the Dockyard Derby stuff? Do they think it's just made-up Sky Sports nonsense? Like, most are you just, are you just trying do? to create me more editing work, Freddie, before no, you get but, no, but surely, surely, the, surely the Derby's Exeter, isn't it? Surely. Of course it's Exeter. I, mean, I used to live there, by the way. Um, just to put it out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a load of shit, right, Joe? I'm just going to say, am I allowed to swear? Um, you are, yeah, it's, you it's are. Complete and utter load of twaddle. Let the media talk about it. Let um, Chris Arrington and BBC Radio Devon and BBC Solon and Sky Sports call it what they like, but I couldn't give two shites about what they call it. It's it's Argyle Portsmouth at the end of the day. There's there's no rivalry. There was, you know, there was a bit of a rivalry when Paul Cook and Derek Adams didn't get on with each other. All goes back to that playoff game where there are a bit of pushing and shoving on the touchline with Paul Watton, but it's a load of nonsense in it. Look, both clubs ended up, we're, we're basically on the same journey for ex- almost identical reasons. Um, you know, at the moment we're a little bit higher up in the table and with a lot more points than yourselves at the moment, but who's to say that in two or three years time, it won't be roles reversed, you know, just get on with it, get on with the game. Play the football, see when Sue takes three points at five o'clock on Saturday. None of this nonsense about Dockyard Derby crap. <laughs> it's all in the past. I keep be, I keep hearing that that's all a, that was a thing of the past. We'll leave it in the past. Just get on with it. Our derby's with Exeter, and and that's all that matters. You got any more smart questions, Freddie? Or shall I get us onto the prediction part of the game? <laughs> He's saying the rest of them weren't smart. I said that one was the least intelligent out of all of them. But that's what I'm saying, mate. Any more questions before I wrap it up? I, I, I no more, think no could... more tabloid trash to throw at Joe. <laughs> I think we covered everything, haven't we? <laughs> all right, Joe, let's get into it. Um, you've got a score prediction, please, for the game and any goal scorers. Easy answers, 2 2, isn't it? Surely. <laughs> <laughs> Or is that a cop-out? No, bit? take the 2-2 two, two if you want. Uh, would I take 2-2 two, two now if it was offered me? Probably not, because we don't concede many goals at home. Um, score prediction for the game. Look, we're, we're coming off the back of a really tough afternoon on Saturday. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're the best team that I've seen all season. Um, they've just got so many... I think... What I tried to explain to people, because I appeared on Gab Sutton's um, BFL debate thing on Twitter the other week, and in the after the podcast was over, we were talking about it, and I was just trying to explain that like we've got every player in our side is one eleventh of a good team. That that's what we've got. We haven't got superstars, we haven't got talents, but the difference is Sheffield Wednesday have got players that are one seventh of a good eleven but the other four are just bloody far superior to anything else they've got in their side. Um, I mean, first half, we couldn't get a kick. Um, second half, we rolled our sleeves up and made it a really good, a real good fist of it. And you sort of stood there and I was stood there in the away end and I'm thinking, right, give me something to take into Saturday. Give me something to look forward to this week going into the big game. And to be fair to them, they did. They showed a lot of fighting character. Um, we're going to need all of that and more. On Saturday, I think it's a 10th sellout in a row at home. 
there's going to be a lot of people going there expecting a win, which is something we're not used to, particularly in this fixture. Um, so it'll be edgy. Um, I'm going to throw as many football cliches within the next couple of minutes as I can. The first goal is crucial. Um, you know, from a Portsmouth point of view, a point away from home is probably a good point. I don't see you coming for the point. I'm not, I don't know much about how Messino has been setting you up, but I doubt he's the sort of manager who will sit back looking for a point. I think he's one of these new breeds that winning is everything and first is first, second is nowhere. Um, so it's not going to be an easy game. But we're one defeat at home all season. We've not let in many goals all season and we do like scoring goals at home. <clears throat> I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, 2-1 Argo. Um, I do think we'll edge it. I hope we edge it because Ipswich are playing Sheffield Wednesday, so it's important we get something out of this game. Um, as for goal scorers, I have absolutely no idea who's going to start up front for us. Um, so <laughs> it's very difficult for me to... Ryan Hardy always scores against Portsmouth, so he, he can have one. Um, but yeah, I... The way I can actually see the game going is I can see Argo going 2 0 up. Home Park absolutely love in the afternoon. Portsmouth scoring with about a half hour to go, and then everyone's watching the rest of the game through their hands. Um, and you're making it difficult for us. But yeah, 2 1, Hardy to get at least one. Um, but if you don't stop Jay Matete, you won't win the game. Simple as that. I'm giving away our tactical information here but if you allow Jay Matete any time or space on the ball you can kiss goodbye to any chance of three points or even a point because he is the best player I've seen in League One I think he's better than Bannon at this level um, he was the best player on the pitch on Saturday um, another one of our genius loan signings and I'm going to enjoy this one as long as it lasts because this lad has a real future in the game can you give us a quick rundown on Jay Matete as a player, what he does, just in case the listeners haven't seen him play yet? Uh, he's everywhere. Plays in midfield, plays as one of the sixes. Um, again, don't know who he's going to be alongside. I would suspect Adam Randall because he's missed the last couple of games. Um, and he he just picks up the ball from the centre-halves. And I mean, he scored a goal against, or we scored a goal against Cheltenham. He got the assist. He picked up the ball on the edge of our box ran the length of the field to their box, could have gone down four times for a foul. I think the referee played advantage four times because they just tried to kick him up in the air, pull his shirt, drag him down. He wouldn't go down. Played a deft touch into Sam Cosgrove. He rolled it in for the fourth goal. His weight of pass is brilliant. His touch is outstanding. As I say, he's probably the best. I'm going to make a bold statement that he's the best player I've seen in our goal shirts since Graham Carey. And we all know what genius things he could do with the ball. Um, so I'm a massive fan of his. And as I say, I'm giving away Stephen Schumacher's tactical plan here. But um, if Jameis Tete isn't stopped, then it's going to be a long afternoon for Portsmouth. Uh, how many of the staff listen to the show, the show Hugh? I can't remember. <laughs> not many, put it that way. Presumably not. <laughs> not they tell us about it anyway. Let's put, let's put it that thank way. God, thank God for that. <laughs> don't worry about that Joe it's not going to be breaking any any tactical nuances I don't think with the Pompey staff so um, you'll what be alright what from Portsmouth we're going to start in the 4-3-3 four, four, three, three. that's how we're going to play so you're going to have Mullen Pack 
and Joe Morrell in centre midfield, probably with Ryan Turnercliffe probably alongside him as well. I think one thing we've changed a lot after Cowley is one of those centre midfielders, and it's been Joe Morrell, and he's playing a little bit further forward, especially in the second half, making runs through sort of line breaking runs um, into the box, which sort of helps Colby Bishop create some space. He's actually a phenomenal goal scorer if he gets enough chances. I think he's sort of scoring on average one in every four shots he has unfortunately he's not getting very many shots because he's not had the service that has improved a bit and things like Joe Moreau arriving late into the box dragging runners defenders away from him um, that's helped certainly and then you look at the three pushing Owen Dale a bit further forwards uh, we just signed Paddy Lane as well um, good player he's, we, he came off the bench in the last game against Barnsley but he's got that ability to score as well a bit like Whitaker from outside the box if he wants to cut inside so if he starts on the right, then you don't want him to cut in on his left foot. And that'll be something I'm sure your players will be aware about. Um, he did, did it against us, against Portsmouth. I'm sure that's not the only reason why we signed him. But there you go. And then at, at centre-back as well, we just signed Riley Towler. Um, he's, he's come from Bristol City originally. I was going to say the Bristol lad, isn't he? Doors and yep. wheels and all that. That's the nonsense. man. That's the man. That's the man. But he looks a lot more composed. In, in possession, which has been something we've lacked at the back, allowing us to sort of pass it out to the midfield and sort of get the ball a bit further forward quickly to, to the wide positions where they'll try and put balls into the box, into Bishop. Um, and then we signed uh, Deshaun Bernard on loan from United. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he's going to start at centre-back, displacing Sean Raggett, which is something they spoke about, or if he starts at right-back, filling in purely because... We're a bit short there if Zach Swanson and Rafferty aren't fit enough to play. He, again, likes to pass the ball out. He's he's a strong, he's aggressive in the tackle, um, but he also likes to progress the ball up further at the pitch. I can see if he does that and gets the better of, of Mumbo, if he does start on the left-hand side, he'll be trying to feed Owen Dale uh, up further up on the right-hand side, who likes to, to carry the ball quite a lot and can, on his day, um, get the ball across to Colby Bishop for, for the goal. So, Maybe that's something for Plymouth supporters to watch out for in the game if he does play on that right-hand side. Essentially, if if Plymouth can stifle Pompey's midfield and isolate the front three, then they will pretty much have control of the game, which has been Pompey's downfall for pretty much all season. Where we've basically lost in midfield for a number of games. A number of games. You said it yourself, Freddie. It's going to be a 3-4-2-1. So... um, you know, it, it, there's going to be no secrets to how we play. Um, I don't see Schumacher making any drastic tactical changes for this one. He does it every now and again just to throw us off the scent. But we're at home. The the onus is on us to to make a go of it. It's on us to be on the front foot from first whistle. So I don't see why he wouldn't try and name his strongest eleven for this because off the back of last week, we do need that win. Um, you know, and it, it's no disrespect to Portsmouth. Um, and I, I guess it is a form of arrogance from myself from where we are. But, you know, if we if we do want to be playing championship football, we do have to be beating the sides in the positions that you guys are. Um, obviously, I know that it didn't work out for Cowley and there was a lot of expectation. I mean, when we, when we got the point at your place back in September, what was it? You were second, we were third or something, weren't we? So um, I think I did some research and found out that, the night Cowley was sacked, you'd only picked up 10 points since that game. Um, so it was a drastic turnaround, but... It was like look, one league win in 15. <clears throat> yeah. And 
And it, for us, it was one league defeat in 15. So we've been pretty relentless since then. We've got to continue that. We're at home. Um, it's time to, for once, try and make this fixture quite comfortable for us. But whether or not we do is another thing altogether. And I'm sure Pompey fans would be absolutely delighted in some ways at the point, considering the fixture. However, I suppose after conceding late against Barnsley in the last game to make it 1-1, these players would know if they've got to pull it together and if they want to have any chance, which I think is very minor and slim, of, of trying to push at least for a top six finish, then this is the kind of game that unfortunately, even though backs against the wall and you know, everything against them, they're going to have to come out and try and try and get three points. So in that sense, it's definitely not going to be a case. I would think you never know, I suppose of us sort of, you know, parking the bus or trying to play for a draw because at the end of the day, nowadays with the, the sort of the amount of points that are left available, you've got to go for it. Now there's no point drawing games for us. So I expect it to be a fun and exciting game with lots of goals. So let's hope it happens. I hope so. <clears throat> so thanks for coming on the podcast. Why don't you tell Pompey fans where they can find your show? Uh, if you find us on at Argyle Life eighteen eighty six on Twitter, um, we release every Wednesday at the moment, but we're going to be moving to Monday releases from next week. Um, weekly show discussing all things Argyle and generally ranting about referees and the nonsense that is the Pizza Cup. Um, and we will have a full review of this weekend's game over there next week. Well, so do you hate the Pizza Cup as much as I do? That's good. Uh, I haven't I haven't been to a game in the Football League Trophy since October 2015 and I don't intend to go now just because we're in the semi-final. It's complete good nonsense. Good man. <laughs> Hugh still thinks it's weird I didn't go to Wembley when we were there. I've I've not I've nothing against the actual competition itself. It's just the format and the structure of it. I have massive reservations over and therefore I am taking a pure political stance on it. But I am comfortable in my decision that if we make it to Wembley that I'm not going. Doesn't bother me one bit. You just have to enjoy that lovely championship football and uh, some money for me to go down the pub if it happens and uh, commiserate by crying into my my pint. But thanks again, Joe. It's really appreciated, mate. And we'll let you go off because I know you've got to record your podcast too. Cheers, Joe. Lovely. Cheers, gents. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat with Joe Fred. We've got a lot of good information out of it. Quite a nice chat about Plymouth and how they're doing so well this season. Yeah, absolutely. Very insightful. Um, easy to just look at them where they are on the table. And obviously they're doing really well because of the manager and some of the players or even dismiss them due to the stature of the club. But no, we got a, a definite inside and outlook at um, the Pilgrims, which was exactly what we needed, really. It's not going to be an easy game, is it? I know we need a win, really, to have any chance of the people who still think we can make a charge in the playoffs. But as we don't really believe in that, let's be honest, I want to see us come out, just play a good result. Well, sorry, play a good game, create lots of chances if possible, and hopefully come away with a point. All right, let's not go on about Plymouth too long. It was about half an hour of the, the chat with Joe, and I think we know how we're going to set up on this. So let's get into the nitty gritty, Fred. I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday against Plymouth and any goal scorers. I think it's written in the stars what this result's going to be, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm going to go for the two-all draw <laughs> because it's never not a two-all draw. So I'm going with the two-all draw again. Um, Colby Bishop with a brace because 
he's our main goal scoring outlet and I feel like Pompey will actually create enough chances for him in this game and for Plymouth let's go with I know they change their players a lot but let's go with Finn Azaz and then Sam Cosgrove off the bench because whenever I see him play against Portsmouth I always see him causing some problems with defenders so he's likely to outmuscle somebody and get his head onto the ball isn't he yeah, indeed. I'm going to go with, and it's difficult, but I'm looking at Plymouth's even the last few games, 4-2 at home against Cheltenham, 3-1 against MK Dons. They're teams that you expect them to beat. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 Plymouth victory. And I'm going to go with goals from Ryan Hardy, the Pompey Destroyer, and Finnezies, and a goal from Pompey from Paddy Lane. Why not? Why not? All right, Fred, let's get having you the podcast. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you so much. I still love doing this podcast. And uh, yeah, it's great that people are listening to it and I get to chat to listeners at uh, uh, games on Saturday. Makes my, makes my day, that, which is an amazing thing. Thanks so much for all the support you're giving us. Yeah, thanks, everyone. We really do appreciate it. But until next time, Play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. <laughs>